All right, Matt. You know, we were just getting ready for the show, and uh, you, you had to actually pause. You actually made us pause because you had an important technical question. You want to tell us? You want to tell us what technical topic you were answering that that prevented us from starting our recording on time? What the, the Emacs one? Yeah, the Emacs. What exactly? <laughs> what Emacs question was so so important that we had to postpone? Was it like how to cut and well, paste? Was it was it how to no. was, it, was it how to exit Emacs or is that only VI? Is that no, only no no. no. No, it was it was much cooler than that. The uh, one of the one of the other uh, Emacs coworkers of mine um, was like asking some questions about remote editing files uh, via SSH, and I was like, "Oh, check this out! Here's a way to open shells remotely inside of Emacs, and you know you have an editable shell." And uh, apparently, this is a new feature that was added to Visual Studio Code. Uh, like a month or two ago. Uh-huh. And when I saw that, I was like, well, that's cool. Emacs has only had that for 19 oh, years. Oh, wow. Well, throwing <laughs> some shade at VS Code. That's that. Well, at, at uh, Chef, how right many now. people, is there just the two of you? Like, how many people are actually having? No, is there, no, an, is there no, an Emacs no, Slack channel at, at Chef? Oh, you know there's an Emacs Slack How many people are in the Emacs Slack, Slack channel at, Slack, at uh, there, Chef? There are, there are five of us. Five. Five. <laughs> All right. But but in all fairness, uh, there are how many channels do we have? Something like you know thirty thousand. I don't know. <laughs> it's some ridiculous number. It's uncountable. Uh, it's we, infinite. It's just infinite at this uh, yeah, point. Yeah, we broke the counter. We sorry, we broke the counter. I think it's like a thousand channels. No, oh, that's um, that's way yeah. So too the Emax one, you know, not a lot of traffic, but but <laughs> Very, now. Uh, very low traffic, but you're you're on it. Like immediately, like you have the notification set for the Emacs channel for like customer problems. Like you you don't even have that. You're like you've unsubscribed from that channel, left it, archived it. But Emacs, that's what you're always you know, keeping your eye on. Customer had questions about Emacs. I would be there for them. <laughs> <laughs> Where do we stand? Did you submit your uh, your keynote to the Emacs? Oh, crap. My browser crashed and I lost that tab. Oh my gosh! Um, you need oh, to get gosh. get on that. And th- this will be um, one of man. we're going to. I don't know how's the the uh, the track coming for Legacy Conf on Emacs. So we have we have a lot of uh, session proposals yet. Like where do we stand? Have we had to reject anyone? Are people reusing proposals from other conferences? And we're like, no, I don't know. We need don't original know. conference only. Whew. I got I, I still got nine more days on the CFP. So all right, get it the done. Browser tab is reopened. <laughs> Firefox don't crash. That's right. It's back, baby. It's back. Okay. It's back. Well, the other thing I, I wanted to um, I want you know, Coach is not here this week, so I thought maybe I just worked this out with you. Um, mm. I think technically I came up with a software defined talk. So I'm thinking if you agree that I want to sell you the name for $5.9 million back to Software Defined Talk. This is a new I, business model that I've just discovered from WeWork, where the, he yeah. trademarked We, and then he sold it oh, back yeah. to WeWork for $5.9 million. So this is what, with Cote not here, and so maybe we should do it this way. We should jointly agree that you and I trademarked Software Defined <laughs> Talk, and that we are willing to sell it back to Cote and the company that we all already all own for $5.9 million. Do I, I you, got a better do, idea. Do you think this we is a good idea? We put it before the board and we split it three ways. <laughs> I think this is the I most... think I got the, the gist of this WeWork model. And then we open up investment to outside investors to show that $5.9 million has already been invested in this podcast. This is what I'm saying. Like, people are really missing... The genius of this WeWork thing. It's like, at first you're like, this is some kind of fraud. Then you're like, wait a minute. 
how could we do it? I have ideas. I have ideas. I have access to the <laughs> internet. I could probably trademark things still. Because I was thinking about this at work this week. Like I was doing PowerPoint. Real shock there. I'm sure everyone's surprised to hear that. And I was like, what if I started to trademark my PowerPoint and I try to sell it back to my company who paid me to build the PowerPoint? Like, isn't that the same idea as what WeWork is doing? Well, this, this opens up two tangents. One, um, I was asked to like do a online course for uh who are the uh the book people who always packed <laughs> and i was like i have a complete conflict of interest here right i do this as my day job and, you know and then secondly ohio state trying to trademark the word the <laughs> that's actually a great question which is more egregious ohio state trying to trademark the word the for the ohio state university for those of right, our international yeah. listeners that don't follow this Ohio State's a university in located no, surprisingly. No, no. I think you mean the Ohio State? Yeah, say well, it located in Ohio, and many of their, I would say, former alumni, especially the the famous football players, they say when they are asked where they go, they they say the Ohio State University. So, mm-hmm. in an attempt to uh, make money off this, Ohio State University or the Ohio State University, has trademarked <laughs> the word the. Did you see the, the response from their rival, who in this case, Michigan? <laughs> they came back. Like the Michigan? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they came back and said they're going to trademark the word of, So because it's, it's the University of Michigan. So it's like, and they had the big OF, like in the big block letters, like <laughs> the in Ohio State. So I don't know, this does bring up a good question. I think what is more ridiculous, trademarking the word the or trademarking the word we and selling it back to your current company? Hmm. Or, or taking the profits from that and buying Greenland. So what would be perfect <laughs> for this if, if Urban Meyer trademarked the word the, who is a former coach of Ohio State University, and then tried to sell it back to us? That would be what bring it full circle. So, hmm. Well, again, a lot of people are criticizing WeWork, and frankly – I'm, I'm not going to buy one sh- share of the stock, and I will do nothing uh, with it. But there's a, some genius in this business model. The fact that like, you can work <laughs> at a place, and if anyone who's ever filled out an expense report, like, you know, maybe like, you forgot a receipt and like, something didn't add up. There's like a $10 Uber ride or you know, a cab or something like that, and, and you know, you've had that bounce back to you. I think we can all think to ourselves – yeah, the board of directors, I don't, it doesn't seem like they all really care about a lot of these details. Like, if you can walk in and sell a trademark back to your board of directors, you, know, you can't feel bad about filling out an expense report at WeWork. It's one of those things, like, you, you try it, and then when it happens, you're like, well, what else can I get away with? <laughs> <laughs> and then you're like, I got it. Now I'm going to sell property back to the company. Oh, I love it. You know, it. And, uh, you know it, it's, it's like this slippery slope, and and, you know... Like nobody checks you, and eventually, I think that's that's kind of where like we are today as <laughs> as a civilization. And people are like, wait, nobody says no half the time, <laughs> you know. And so it's like, what what other crazy it's stuff like can we do? The world is just a bunch of toddlers, toddlers just like trying to like find boundaries. They're like, I don't know. Let's just keep throwing things down the toilet, see what happens, right? You're like, let's just trademark the word we, see what happens. Like, maybe it'll work out, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, and then you, like, try to explain these things to your kids, and they're like, uh, I think I want to be a YouTube gamer. And I'm like, <laughs> no, you learned the wrong lesson. <laughs> I don't know. Like, nothing matters. <laughs> it is true. Like, the YouTube, I don't know. I don't know what to say about the YouTube. I'm like, I, oh, YouTube. I, 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 I hate it, but I, I will say I took my son to uh, the Dude Perfect show, 
here in Austin. They did a little tour, and it was oh, wow. it, it was crazy. It was it was quite the uh, you know I would say it was eighty percent parents in uh, elementary school age boys, but you know fair amount of you know daughters in there as well. And you're like, at first you're like this doesn't really make any sense, and then you look around and you're like these guys are making an incredible amount of money doing oh yeah essentially just doing things that elementary school kids wish they could do like one of the things is they push over this giant gumball machine like it's like i can't even describe how big it is and you know even when you're watching you're like you know even i was like i kind of want to see what happens when that does it so it's sort of like all they do is they're doing stuff that you're like i wonder what happened if that fell over and then they do it and you're like wow that went really different that was really an unusual way to go. So I don't know, man. I, I don't know if we should be grooming our kids to be tube stars or, you know, trying to make them read more. But, you know, one or the other, somehow it's going to, you know, we're going to decide whatever we do. I've decided I will probably make the wrong choice. It'll be like, yeah, you should have done the other thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. There's not much more to say on that. But uh, speaking of uh, financial shenanigans and, you know, not being told no, um, Looks like VMware is going to buy Pivotal. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yes, this is our. This is going to be. We're going to dedicate a, a, a whole segment to this. So Cote is out. So Pivotal uh, was public. I looked it up today. I think for like a year and a half. It looks like so they went, went public. Which, of course, just to recap, we should quickly recap the ownership structure. Although it's very complicated, Dell and VMware somehow jointly owned Pivotal. Then they Pivotal went public, but they Dell and VMware still maintained big ownership stakes in it. So it was public for a year, and then VMware, and then the stock price, we should also recap that. It ran up, and then they didn't do so well, and it went down. But then VMware stepped in and said they're going to buy Pivotal for basically the IPO share price. So, one, I don't even understand. So I think let's just try to – we'll just look at it from the outside and just try to say, like, does We're going to make... need charts PowerPoint. <laughs> We're going to need a lot. But let's just go the, real simple. Like, let's just put aside the financial side for a second. Why, if you're VMware, like, what is the case to buy Pivotal and bring it in-house? Like, what do you think they had on their strategy deck? Well, I mean, VMware's got a much bigger sales force. They've got probably, if not the same, a better Rolodex of customers and, you know, uh, active engagements. And maybe it just reduces the friction of pitching Pivotal to those customers. Um, you know, I think the... Uh, at least on the outside, um, it looks like Pivotal is a more high-touch uh, sales engagement, and VMware you know might sell the same product, but it's more like uh, you know less high-touch, which means it's probably like SMB. <laughs> right. um, well, no, no, no. I mean, like you know, the Pivotal is probably going to be going after the you know seven-figure deals, and VMware might be going after the six-figure deals or you know five. Um, I don't, I don't know what the pricing looks like, but, you know, it's just kind of like they, there's a natural segmentation there. And VMware is like, yeah, why do we have this separation? Right. We, you know, we can service both of them and we've got a, a better Rolodex and a bigger sales force. Let's join forces. That's my totally uninformed take on it. OK. Now, what do you think? <laughs> I, my take is I think that's I would agree with a lot of that. But I also think, though, there has to be some product angle. And I think so. The acquisitions. And I know VMware's bought a lot, so like I'm not going to try to name them all. But you have Bitnami. VMware already bought Pivotal. Um, piv- <laughs> soon to be Pivotal. And then, uh, oh, no, no, they bought them years ago. That's true. And, and then they, they bought, bought them back. <laughs> this is, I just, man, we're gonna we're gonna need we're gonna need a lot of PowerPoint slides. So okay, and then but then uh, was the it Hip- chart. So. 
It is a WeWork clicking chart. It's crazy. And then, but then they bought uh, Heptio right a while back for like yep. four hundred million. But Heptio never really had a product, right? As I recall, that they just they were going to have something about. So I it was like supporting mainstream, you know, uh, master branch Kubernetes. So my thought is the slides there say something like VMware plus Pivotal. Plus Heptio. I don't know if Bitnami, I don't know if this is the package management side of it or does that need to be in there? But if you like put all that in a blender, one, you're going to get a very complicated VMware brand name. I just, that's the one thing I would bet a million dollars on. That would be my WeWork bet is that they come out with a name. It is going to be so complicated. It's going to make that GSX ESX look like, you know, nothing. That was simple. So, but I think they do put it all together, blend it up, and then somehow there's like, you know, dare I, can I use the word pass or does that mean I, am I kicked off the podcast if I say pass? Like they're going to come up with some kind of like open shift kind of competitor, right? Would that be? Uh, the, well, they're all on Kubernetes. Right. So it's like they, they take VMware and Pivotal <laughs> and put it together and then they're like, and they're just trying to make it easier to deploy. And that's where I think the Bitnami side of it comes in. Because I think, I think in the end, they, they think somehow all of that together in some better integrated fashion is the reason that it's more valuable to have Pivotal inside VMware versus leave Pivotal out its uh, on its own on that or, or or is this like you know continuing the shell game of you know the smaller emc buying the bigger dell and you know moving things you know going private going public going private i don't know well this is, is, where, is there some like financial maybe, machination as i say is there a forensic accountant who could come on the show and explain this to us because i i just don't even understand it i don't even understand how <laughs> you can like take the thing public that you own because i was wondering like who probably owned like the the shares that were publicly traded, I would assume, like all most, like it's like large um, institutional investors, like Vanguard, and but but you know, but I but I think it's like it, it's like when VMware went public, it was only like twenty percent of the company was public, right? So eighty percent of it was still held private. I wouldn't, so you, but like, like the twenty percent of people that w- could buy it, that let's just say they they were, you know, there's some individual retail investors, but like you know, most of it will be owned by institutions, like in you know, whatever hedge funds or. Uh, that's the part I would like to know. Like, who were the owners? Were they like big corporate endowments, or you know, were they professional investors? Were they hedge funds? Because I, I don't know. It's just weird. It's like I there's a whole roadshow where they convince people to buy it, and I'm sure the roadshow said something like, "We're going to be around for ten years. Invest in us. It's going to be a growth stock, right?" I mean, that's what they all say. And then, like, almost immediately, you're buying it back for what you sold, and it's like, what? Like, wouldn't someone be mad, or isn't somebody upset, or is that? I don't- <laughs> all right. Well, yeah. somebody figures all this out. <laughs> you know, this is what we want. I think we do. We need a, we need a uh, the software defined talk accountant because I just it does seem totally oh, nuts to me. We that would either like you know further cement our places like you know, the backwoods of of, of uh, we need to go more niche podcasting. now. Right? We got to go more niche. That's where the, all the the audience is these days. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. All right. Well, more importantly. Um, when Kote writes his book in his, uh, you know, in his, in let's say, you know, twenty years from now, this is like the sequel to the Sun. This right? is going to be the second part. This is you're right. This is the maybe the second part of a trilogy. He's going to write the Sun book, and then he's going to write a book about this experience because, you know, I want to I want to know I, what he really I thinks. Just, I just hope he gets his old email address back. Kote hmm. at Dell dot com. Uh, <laughs> can we put a request in to all the Dell admins? I think it would be VMware. Dell, he'll have a VMware email address, I think for sure. But he will hold three. He will have all three at that point, right? That would be a, a nice little trifecta. So, well, Matt, you know, say you are running a bunch of different VMs, 
Say, yeah. you know, you know what these VMs, you know what all this technology has? Log files. But, you know, what, what could they do to help out with log files? Any ideas? I, I do have some ideas. Uh, this episode is sponsored by SolarWinds and one of their application performance monitoring tools, PaperTrail. Diagnosing an application error, a sudden spike in event messages, or a customer service ticket, get to the root cause fast using PaperTrail, powerful cloud-based log management designed for engineers by engineers. With PaperTrail, you can streamline troubleshooting with LiveTail to see events in real time or search through hours of logs in just a few seconds. As you work, you can save searches and create alerts without leaving the event viewer. And there's nothing to install or set up, so you can be up and running in minutes. And now, the brand new integration of Paper Trail with SolarWinds App Optics brings powerful application performance monitoring and distributed tracing together with log management, enabling you to identify performance and availability issues even faster while significantly reducing MTTTR. To learn more or to try SolarWinds Paper Trail for free, go to papertrailapp.com slash SDT, all lowercase, and make troubleshooting fun again. Fantastic. So, yeah. And of course, we always thank SolarWinds for being such a great sponsor, and we hope you guys support them like you support the sh- show. Paper Trail is a great product. Try it out. Make us all happy. So in the world of monitoring, you know, yeah. another, you know people often ask me, like, Brandon? Why do they start so many monitoring companies? And guys, I'm about to answer that <laughs> question. Why. Let me explain that. The, late, the recent news, breaking news, right before the show started, right. Splunk to acquire cloud monitoring leader Signal FX for a billion dollars. And for those at home, I think it's uh, 60% cash, 40% uh, stock is what I read right before this. So, th- and so I looked this one up. I was like, you know, Matt, it may be you, time for you and I to get back and start another monitoring company. We've been at, we may need to get back in the game. We have not hit this billion dollar acquisition yet. We have been at a couple and none of them have gone out like this. So it looks like signal FX started in 2013 spun out of Facebook or not spun out. I guess the, 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 uh, the people that started it came out of Facebook invested by Andreessen Horowitz. So incredible pedigree here. It looks like they raised $103 million. So this is the thing we always talk about. This is what we always recommend against. Like, guys, don't, don't raise a lot of venture capital. Then you need a crazy exit. Probably not going to work out for you. Well, in the case of single FX, worked out really well. Worked out fantastic. You know what? They did everything <laughs> what right. we know. Uh, we, we, time for your A16Z uh, disclaimer. Don't listen to us for investment yeah, advice. Once again, once again, <laughs> Mark Andreessen. You're welcome. Ben Horowitz, they're like, no, Brandon, uh, we got this. We're going to make a lot yeah, of money. Yeah, we did. know how to make money. So, I, yeah. I, I mean, one, what do we think? Like Splunk basically getting into APM. I, you know, I feel like this, that seems pretty natural. I feel like they've been in this for a long time anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it doesn't seem like anything new. Yeah. Yeah, I was surprised it didn't already happen. <laughs> But I think the valuation is what's just eye-popping here. It's like, okay, they're not that old. We know the monitoring game pretty good. I mean, is it – I was just kind of like, you know, price to sales ratio here. It's like, do we think they're making $50 million a year in sales? I, I think that's a lot for that, this company, right? Yeah, yeah. I think we're probably like talking sub-20, maybe $20, 30000000 million. So, so there's a lot of goodwill in this acquisition. Well, we and, don't know. Right. I mean, we don't know. We, we don't know. But hey, when has that stopped us from talking about it? I'm just saying <laughs> we, we know a lot about monitoring and maybe they have cracked the code. Maybe they have done something so incredibly well that people are spending hundreds of millions of dollars. But history would tell us that this is I believe that the Splunk people feel like, hey, there's some very core technology that they need here um, that they believe they can. To your point about sales, uh, 
sales channels earlier that they're going to basically put in their sales channel and be able to sell a ton of it, right? Yeah. Everyone yeah. that's got it there. I don't. I just can't imagine that this company is already making hundreds of million uh, millions of dollars in revenue. Well, but but Splunk is you know somewhat ubiquitous inside the enterprise and mm-hmm. probably you know the Splunk salespeople are looking around and they're like oh we're seeing a lot of you know uh i'm trying to think who their competitors are um you know, the, sumo the, logic all the other monitor- mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean well no 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 not like Splunk's competitors but all the monitoring yeah new relic that, apt you know, new relic right. and app dynamics xenos kind of stuff, not really but why not yeah. who's gonna buy xenos matt that's what we need when are we getting cashed out on that you know what I'm going to do with that Zenos money? A nice buy, lunch? Like a big nice software defined talk.com <laughs> <laughs> trademark for $5.9 million. <laughs> um, so not happening. Um, anyway, uh, but but yeah, you know, so the, the Splunk salespeople, they look around, they see Splunk plus AppD, Splunk plus, you know, you fill in the blank monitoring, and they're like, why can't we have both? Yeah. Right. And so they probably. You know, Signal Effects probably has a good competitive sheet for how to compete against you know those other you know leading enterprise monitoring products, uh, which sounds funny. You know, here we are today, but uh, so they probably got a good competitive angle for that, and they're like, look, our salespeople can knock that out. We'll take their money, add it to our pile of money, and you know, looking at uh, the the press release, they're only losing a hundred million a quarter now. <laughs> so, oh, oh <laughs> I, my gosh. I don't understand. Oh my gosh! Where again? A job too for the forensic accountant. Explain this to us. We just do not understand this. Well, I think the other thing that's I to me is just crazy, is um, like, I guess not so much that they they're doing this. It's just like why did they really feel like a billion dollars? That to me is. The, the number one thing I just don't understand it because there it's, are so it's got to be psychological, right? They, they were like, "How about nine hundred forty? And they're like, right. "Come on! If you say just sixty million more, a sixteen Z gets to call it another billion dollar investment." <laughs> well, I do think there is there has to be a little. I mean, this is the part about hey, you're going to start a monitoring company, and people always wonder it's like, hey, why is everything started in San Francisco? It's so expensive to live there. This is another classic example because I I feel like there's a lot of monitoring companies. A lot some I've worked at, some I haven't, but they're all over the United. States and it's like I it, I don't I just wondered like did Splunk call them and do some due diligence on like ten other monitoring companies that I could name <laughs> that would been have probably you know that you could acquire for a fraction of this and unless so, you're telling me I I would love we have a lot of great listeners and you guys are usually great about uh, chiming in so if anybody has used it, uh, Signal FX and just especially you know compared to to some you know anything else it's like. Because again, I mean, don't make me bring up Nagios, right? Don't like I know you all got Nagios, and we all got Nagios, right? Last I mean, week, we yeah. are all running Nagios, but I mean, th- th- like we use that as a baseline. It's just like how much better is it? A billion dollars better than than Nagios? Like, what exactly does it do? So maybe I just haven't. I've been out of the monitoring game a little bit. Haven't I? Don't have all the dashboards up, so maybe I'm missing it. But this feels like one of those insider deals, right? Where it's like everyone knew each other. Um, and then, you know, the whole Facebook pedigree, I get that the idea of microservices, but, but we also know the monitoring game isn't about monitoring microservices. That's not what most people are looking to monitor right now. It's, right. Just, it's much, much simpler than the, um, what's going on. So I don't know, she, you know, I guess I'm, you know, I wouldn't be so mad if I wasn't just bitter. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Peter Baptist. Well, maybe, maybe you know, the San Francisco angle, maybe the signal effects on some real estate. And they're like, we can get <laughs> San Francisco real estate. It just happens to be included in there. That's the real money. Well, I think the only thing else I can think about is when uh, the investment bankers put together the signal effects deck that they had, uh, they had the uh, Datadog IPO price in there, right? They're like, hey, Datadog. Yeah. Datadog's about to go out at whatever. It's at least two billion, maybe more. And they're saying to themselves, like, hey, you're getting this, you're getting it half off. I mean, we're selling this to you cheap, right? So that would be the only other comparison I think would be immediately obvious. because um, I'm trying to think, what's the other one that uh what's the other monitoring one? What that's not not monitoring. What is it? Observability. What's our other oh, I just forgot honeycomb. the name? Yeah, honeycomb. Yeah. Like, what's up with honeycomb, right? That's I mean I bet you, you know what? You know, I bet you, I, you know what we should do? We should negotiate for Honeycomb. You know what, Honeycomb? I bet you they would take $500 million right now. I think they'd be fine with that. I think that was... Uh, <laughs> we, don't, we don't even need to look you at know the what? customer list. We'll just take 10% of the savings, Matt. We'll just do this like a deal, like we're doing a consolidation. We saved you $500 million. Give us 10%. That's $50 million. We'll call it even. We're done. Mm. So I don't know. It's uh, just, to me, it's insane. And then, and then we'd have to hire an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> No, we have an accountant. We just we we need a forensic accountant. That's what we need. So uh, I don't really uh, explain that. We need someone to actually explain to us how this would actually work. <laughs> That's right. But don't worry, we'd figure it out. Don't worry. Don't yeah, we? Yeah. For fifty million, we'd figure that out. Uh, all right. Well, congrats. I guess we'll leave it like we always like. Hey, they 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 took the at that. They raised the money. They did a great job. Congratulations yeah. to Signal FX. We look forward to seeing you at the conferences, and we look forward to your interview on A16Z, where you explain all of this to us. Right? Yeah. Yep, yep. And, and and we look forward to you guys starting another monitoring company in two years. <laughs> yeah, I think it'll be probably 36 <laughs> months from now. What will it be called? It'll be called, what's the, what's the obvious thing? Well, it says, it says the deal, yeah, I think it said the deal ends uh, second half of next year. So okay, uh, I'm thinking December 2022, there's going to be a big you know announcement of some new stealth monitoring startup. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm trying to think, because you know, like, I know they always like when they do it, they always want the first name to like link to the last name. So maybe it's like, Signal, so maybe we call it Noise RX or something like that. You know, it's like Signal to Noise. That would be their. That'd be a good name for the next signal company. Signal to Noise. See, that would be like oh, man, their. Gonna, that would be the let's next go company. That, or trademark that. <laughs> and... gonna, hold on, let me get on the trademark site. We're gonna knock this out. So, yeah. uh, well, there's we other our... news. Other news. So yes, Microsoft. News. I don't know. Microsoft had a, a weird week here, right? They had an early in the week. Uh, People were very upset with Microsoft. They changed the licensing model. Uh, our friend Corey yeah. over at uh, Screaming in the Cloud, he came out with a very short piece that explains it all. And I'll just, I'll, I'll quickly try to recap it. So beginning October 1st, 2019, on-premises license purchased without software assurance and mobility rights cannot be deployed with dedicated hosted cloud services offered by the following public cloud providers. Can you guess them? Microsoft, Alibaba, Amazon, including VMware on AWS, and Google. They will be referred to as listed providers. So the net net here is Microsoft is not going to let you take your own license anymore and put it on those clouds that I just mentioned, which is ironic that they mentioned themselves. But then in that article, they go on to explain that there's going to be workarounds. So if you're on Microsoft, you're probably going to get some deals. So people were universally mad about this. I didn't see anyone who's like, oh, this is a really good idea. I'm glad they did this. I didn't see any of those tweets. I saw just (laughs) basically people being very, very... Uh, Matt. But before we talk about that, I thought we should then talk about the good Microsoft did is they bought uh, JClarity. So JClarity is one of the, the, I guess, the companies behind what, the Open JDK, right? Yeah. So they're yeah, yeah. obviously putting more support around uh, an open source version of Java. So I thought it was interesting because 
the open JDK was really a response to Oracle imposing a license tax on the JDK, <laughs> right? And everyone was mad right, about right. that. But then, so Microsoft is sort of playing the game of like, hey, we'll, we'll support the open JDK and we want to make sure it's, it's free to run Java and you don't have any spe- special licenses. And then, you know, the kind of the industry collectively demonizes Oracle. But then Microsoft comes out and says, well, we have this natural advantage on operating systems, so what, why don't mm-hmm. we just charge for that, right? And it's like, well, now everyone's mad at Microsoft. So, so I don't know, trying to have like a, a different discussion on this would be, is it ever okay <laughs> at this point <laughs> to like, and I think this is the mistake. I think it's okay to charge for the software that you've built. I think that is fine. I think what people are objecting to is if you change it on them, Right. If it was all, like in the case of Java, if it was always free to just use and deploy and then you right, suddenly right. put a license in and the same thing in this case, like, you know, you had this bring your own license and you change it. I think that is what really just drives people up a wall. And so I think the fact that they, that they're basically taking something away is what's really bothering people, not the fact that that necessarily they have to pay. What is your take? <laughs> well, uh, you, you just got my take. I mean, um, <laughs> you know, I was. I was a like at first it took me a while to wrap my head around the the, the licensing change for Windows because I was like I just assumed that Azure was already a cheaper destination for Windows workloads but then I I what I didn't realize was it was like oh if you're bringing your own licensing like instead of raising prices could you just say like oh we'll give you further discounts but instead it's like no nah, we'll just raise the prices <laughs> you know it's like you know further discounts is the the flip side of the coin for you know raising prices but uh i guess there was money to be had and money to be made so uh uh you know there's that tack to it um you know i i reading the the, the cory quinn piece um you know one of the things he pointed out was uh when, whenever you know, it, it's kind of strong arming customers into moving to Azure, um, and he kind of pointed out that one of the things you don't see whenever the, uh, he was talking about Azure being slightly less stable than uh, some of the other platforms, and said even when Azure has downtimes, you don't see a lot of websites going down uh, because it's still attracting you know, primarily a lot of enterprise migrations. Uh, so, you know, somebody's ERP system might go down for a bit, but it's not like their public facing website. Um, and, and I don't, the thing about this announcement is like, it doesn't change that aspect at all. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't make, you know, my, uh, Azure a more attractive platform for anything but more legacy applications. Um, not there's anything wrong with enterprise and legacy, but, uh, you know, it's uh, it's not pushing them forward to to get the the movers and shakers of cloud native, uh, if you will. Yeah. But. Well, I think, and I think that's really an important point there. It's like I think this makes a lot of noise in kind of the cloud native echo chamber that we, that frankly, we live in and we talk about all the time. I think most companies are just going to build this into their. This is the cost of doing business, and I think Oracle when yeah. they did it, they did the same kind of math. It's like, yeah, I mean, yes, the. The cloud native crew will be really upset, but most people are just going to say, this is what we, we've got to pay for it. We don't want to migrate off this technology because that, that's going to take us more time and money, or we're going to do it eventually, but not right now. So let's just go ahead and pay the license fee um, for the moment. So I think, you know, in the end, it's just the fact that it's like a logo. You roll up these logos, there's a big hoopla over it, people get mad. Um, and then going forward, though, I do think, you know, without a doubt, right, I think if you're building a new application, right, you definitely start thinking about this, right? And, I, and obviously moving to either yeah. Windows containers or moving to 
you know, some type of Linux container. I think people are already thinking about that. So Microsoft probably sees that as well. And it's just like, hey, you know, this is, this is while the world moves that way, we can still charge for what we think is our, <laughs> our intellectual property. Yeah. Right. There's money left in that banana stand. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of money left. Because I think yeah, at one point, yeah. I was changing a lot, but Microsoft at one point, I think the last couple of weeks, was the most valuable company in the world. Um, and so everyone was like, remember, whatever, 10 years ago, like, oh, they're dead. They miss, go- you know, miss mobile or whatever. And it's like, no, they're doing all right. They're doing yeah. quite well. Yeah, I saw uh, some some uh, I some reviews of there's a new uh, Nokia book about kind of the, oh. the downfall yeah. of Nokia. And I think it was uh, Gene Kim was tweeting about it. And um, it sounded right up your alley because mm-hmm. it's uh, the CEO, like in hindsight, talking about, you know, the acquisition by Microsoft and how they, you know, got completely blasted by Apple. And and the funny thing was, there's this anecdote in there uh, about how everyone agreed that $7 billion was a fair pr- price for Nokia because if they didn't acquire them, they'd go bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? How how does that make sense? Item three for the forensic accountant. <laughs> Please explain all of this to us. The, yeah, the Nokia thing is fascinating. I mean, that is like, yeah. I mean, that I don't know. I guess that's why, you know, it's so funny because people often still to this day, they say Apple's undervalued. And I think the reason uh, it is, is because we all live through the the blackberry right you know that was the most popular mm-hmm. phone and then it just instantly went away and then of course before that was like everyone had that nokia but you remember that old nokia phone that had that, like, that big battery it was like a tank right like everyone had that yeah. phone and you know it, it's this company that could do no wrong and it's like so i don't know mobile seems like the most fickle of any of these businesses right and so i don't know maybe apple's cracked the code right they clearly you know i know you don't have an iphone but everybody else i know that <laughs> everybody I, else i, I know a lot about the products don't you worry <laughs> everyone else I'm, i know I'm, is a blue bubble only you only you do i get the green text messages from you'll be happy to know that i i, I recently started investing uh the day before the stock market dropped 800 points <laughs> 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 I might have bought Apple and Microsoft because I was like, eh, whatever. Well, you and me yeah. both. I actually put some money, money in my son's college fund and like it immediately went down. I was like, yep, thanks, guys. Appreciate yep. it. Yep. Appreciate- Again, yep. as we've reiterated many times, this is not an investment podcast. Please do not follow, <laughs> Please do not follow anything that we do. Pro- yes. You know what yes. that means? You should probably go buy some WeWork. Good luck with that. You know, I don't know. Good, I'm not- yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So Microsoft. Uh, so in the end, uh, I, I think, you know, this, I will say back to your thing about, you know, I've heard a lot of people, I think it is a funny line that people say around the whole, like, hey, uh, so-and-so's site went down, but you never, you know, when Microsoft Cloud goes down, you never hear, like, a major outage. But what I do think people miss is that the bulk of the stuff running in this cloud, and Matt, I want you to tell me if you agree, is just your simple infrastructure as a service, right? There's most people, most of the money, I believe, is still just taking VMs, running them in these clouds and it's again it's the most boring stuff it's all the insurance companies and enterprise manufacturing companies so there's a ton so when people say that like oh microsoft isn't doing well it's like no microsoft is doing just fine moving a lot of these virtual machines in this and probably doing quite well at running a very strong infrastructure as a service business so just the fact that they don't have snapchat and it doesn't go down and generates a big headline you're missing the point (laughs) right and most all the cloud vendors everybody keeps saying this 
to the point of like 80% of today's workloads are still on-premise, right? I don't even know if that's true. This gets said so much. I would like someone to fact check it. But everyone at least believes that most of it that's is still – That's not for us to do. <laughs> that's right. We're de- <laughs> and you know what? We're definitely not doing that. That's actually real work. But like most people I, I, I always come back to, it's like that's the bulk of what's moving to the cloud is just people lifting and shifting and getting things over there. As yeah. I know you spend a lot of time talking about it. And, you know, I mean, without Coach okay. here, we could talk about it. Hey, hope everyone's uh, – on their Microsoft 2008 migrations, January is, is coming fast, guys. Let's let's get on that. Right, <laughs> both Matt and I yeah, can probably yeah. help you if you haven't started. Matt and I can help you one way or another. We'll help yep. you. So yeah, and 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 we trademarked it. <laughs> <laughs> and we're trademarking. That's right. We're trademarking sure we're end of service but... life. Did you know oh, that would be another there's one? Some, there's some money to be made there. That's right. Uh, we're adding it yeah. to Legacy Com. They're gonna have a whole track on trademarks. It's gonna be great. This is oh, the future. Geez. Trademarks will be the Legacy future. Com. Um, uh, what about the main squatting? That's right. <laughs> what about uh, did you see in the CNCF this week? They, uh, I guess they officially archived Rocket Project. Should, should, oh. we, should we have a quick, you know, pour one out for the Rocket? I think the Rocket Project, yeah. I'm going to say very successful. I think the Rocket Project did exactly what it wanted to do. It made Container it a, open source. Was that the, I think that was yeah, the entire it was, reason. It was a forcing function. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it forced the conversation to change. And if you look at, um, uh, like Red Hat's latest, uh, you know, Kubernetes or Red Hat Eight, right? They didn't ship Docker. They shipped like Podman and these really stripped down um, daemons that did like one thing and one thing only. And whereas you know the Docker daemon and and the Docker toolchain was very was becoming very monolithic. Um, mm-hmm. To to have like all the bells and whistles to do to do lots of different things, um, you know, Rocket kind of forced the function of like we're going to have lots of small daemons that do one thing really well. And you know uh, that's that's pretty good, I guess. You know, thanks, Rocket. Yeah, good job. No, I think it was like incredible. You know, it's funny. It's like this is an incredibly successful project. It did exactly what it needed to do. And the fact that that someone was smart enough to be like, we don't need to carry this on for the next ten years. We go to some <laughs> conference and someone's like, what about Rocket? It's like, no, no, it's yeah, over. Were, Move over. There will. There will not be Rocket at Legacy. Yeah, Conf. that's out. No, that's a, that's officially even that can't get into Legacy Conf. Like, no, job no. well done, guys. All right. Well done, Rocket yeah, you people. Must live for exactly ten years or longer to be at Legacy Comp. That's right. But, you know, you're in. You're there'll out. There'll be a Splunk track. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, listen. There'll be a couple tracks on log files. There'll be a couple tracks. Just I mean, and one of it will be on regular a- expressions. We're gonna have a whole session on regular expressions. It'll be great. It'll be fun. This conference um, sounds great. Yeah. It's, it's, it's gonna, you know what? We're gonna have you up there with right with some Emacs highlighting, going through some regular expressions, some crazy ones. You wow. know. You've seen some crazy sh- uh, stuff in your day, but some crazy. Uh, yeah, yeah, right? I, I have. Um, it, it keeps getting better. But uh, I, you know, speaking of regular expressions, I saw <laughs> some crazy ones being used uh, internally uh, as we comb through all of our Ruby logs uh, over the last couple of years to find out uh, there was a recently a report came out that there was backdoor code found in eleven Ruby libraries, and. Um, Apparently, one of the core developers for the REST client, Jim, um, his credentials were compromised uh, by somebody who used that to to push a bunch of different gems, versions of them, into uh, Ruby gems where they got picked up uh, by, you know, who knows what. Uh, I think they, they counted something like 1,500 downloads, which isn't a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, essentially it was, you know, taking credentials and sending them to some domain in the Ukraine. And, you know, who knows what good things were going to happen there. But REST client, 
was was one of them. Uh, a lot of the others were things like, uh, you know, Dogecoin and you know other ICOs. So, so what was the actual I back? Just, like, what were they? So they were just getting credentials, basically. Was that what they were trying to yeah, sell? Yeah. Okay. So I mean, yeah. I don't know. This is a tough problem because there was another article this week about like not all. Uh, what is it here? Not all open source uh, products are created equal. And it, it basically the, the gist of that was um, they did some open source analysis and they found, you know, various security vulnerabilities in open source projects. Oh, yeah. and it's like, yeah. I don't know. I mean, this is just a hard thing. It's like, I mean, I don't know who is truly motivated without being paid to search open source for security vulnerabilities. This is, I don't know if it's a weakness. <laughs> I, I mean, well, we we were. <laughs> well, you are now. Everybody is now. But like to do it up front. Yeah, remember yeah. Heartbleed a while back? It was like one. It's people oh, yeah. are like everyone's yeah. using this. And it turned out like one guy was maintaining it. And it was like, and of course, like, you know, why like what does he care, right? He, he has stuff to oh, do. Well, so, yeah, the, the, the open SSL. Yeah, ones. open yeah. SSL bug. And so I don't know. This is something like I don't know if there's a great answer here. Like, you know, this seems like the kind of thing that like, uh, you know, because like the people that seem really good at finding stuff is like, what is Google's security team? They have like a. I don't know. They have like that crack team that's always like reporting these like incredibly obscure bugs, like the Intel. <laughs> they're, they're always finding vulnerabilities in the iPhone, but never in Android. Yeah, I, what's up with that? It's always amazing. <laughs> and like Intel chips, right? So it's like, but you know, you almost think to yourself like a ser- uh, a service of like you know whether it's GitHub because I know Google had their uh, would they have some. Uh, some whatever deploy from GitHub now, right? But like that would be kind yep. of the the thing, right? Something that's automatically doing the security analysis for you, yeah, right? On yeah. these projects, because it's like, I mean, if you think about all the time and effort they spend on some of these obscure bugs, it's like, why not just go out here and clean up some of these GitHub projects for us, um, especially well, the ones I, that are widely used, and then allow yeah. the enterprise to pay for it. Talk about, you know, we always talk. People are always asking about how to make money. There would be a way to make money, right? Like scan the source code in GitHub, find it. And then either patch it or tell people that you'll patch it for them. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a fair number of, of companies in that space, and and you know they're happy to sell you the on-prem version so you can plug it into your CI/CD, and you know they probably have you know free hosted for open source versions. I mean, like I'm on a lot of GitHub repos, so every day it feels like I get notifications <laughs> about you know security vulnerabilities. Um, you know, they're like, your project has, you know, this dependency, which depend on, on that and may have a vulnerability. And you know what that leads to? Regexes. <laughs> <laughs> Regexes as you scrape through, you know, the 5,000 builds that have happened since July. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, for all you Chef users, you're only vulnerable if you were building your own Chef, um, which very few people do. So, well, hey, to yeah, go back, that, correct myself. The Google team, it's called Project Zero. That's who they are. Project Zero, that's the team. So that's what we need. Project Zero, stop working on the iPhone. Start working on GitHub. <laughs> just all of it. Could you just go <laughs> through has, all of it? GitHub has scanners, too. That's what I'm saying. Like, GitHub is scanning stuff, too. And, you know, they're, they're building that stuff in and, you know, making sure it runs better on Azure. So, <laughs> uh, you know, they know where their bread is they buttered. Know they're getting it done. All right, well. Yeah. Well, for everybody that uh, was running Ruby, you know, maybe it'd be time to do some updates. So, what should they do, Matt? Give them some practical advice. Other than that, like, what? I mean, do you, is it? Uh, can can you just? What is it? The gem update? What is the command? Can I just do that, or do I have to actually go through and actually search? Do some complicated regular expression checking. Well, I mean, most people. Uh, it, it the the attack surface was actually very small, so mm-hmm. they they figured not very many people built these things, and. Um, I mean, if you're running Ruby applications, I guess ask your vendor if you know if they uh, 
checked it out. Um, I think Chef will have a blog post here uh, any minute. <laughs> email Matt. Uh, I know, email Matt. Yeah. All the Chef users. Email yeah, maybe, Matt. Maybe we uh, embargo this podcast till that, that <laughs> blog post is out. But you're fine. Um, is, is the takeaway? Okay. Um, yeah. All right. So we're good. All right. One final thing from uh, last week. So uh, our man uh, was it Matt Mullenweg, CEO of Automatic. He had a little yep. long interview here. No, I guess long interview about Tumblr. Good. And he, I, th- I think he, you know, one, he's a very mellow guy. When you listen to the interview, he's just very relaxed. He seems like a very. Did you listen or did you read it? Listen, Matt. You know, because I only listen. I only listen. Oh I wow! Because like, I read it, right? Yeah, I actually yes. thought I so listened to it. Listen it, it, was to very it you know, you hear he he sounds really mellow. But when I read it, I can be like, he sounds like Hank Scorpio, right? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, we're gonna take Tumblr to the moon, ah! right? He could be, you know, I like my imagination version better. He, well, I mean, I would say listen to it. He he seemed pretty mellow. He seemed pretty level-headed about it. Yeah. My my was take was like, hey, I felt like, you know, to me, it seems like it's going to become some type of advertising. Um, I think, quote, unquote, advertising is definitely something we're going to explore, which I would say is code for advertising is what we're going to do to make money from Tumblr. And we only had yeah. to pay $3 million for it or less. And why not, right? This seems like an obvious thing. So. I think, you know, he does seem like it's interesting listening to him because I think he's been at Automatic or WordPress, I guess, for like 10 plus years. And so he's had a lot yeah, of yeah. opportunities to sell it. So, you know, it is interesting sometimes. Like he, I, he seems legitimately like this is his passion. He's devoted to do yeah. it forever. I don't I don't see WordPress. Um, I don't know. How do we feel about WordPress? I've, no, he's, I think he said like it was a third of Internet sites are done is. with WordPress. But is it just like yeah. But I hate content management. I was just before the show. I was doing some work on some content management. I won't. I will not say the system. I'll just say it was not WordPress. And I, I, it reminded me how much I hate content management. And you know why? Mm-hmm. Access controls. Because people. This is what always <laughs> happens. People tack on the access controls to content management after it's been built, and it's impossible. Man, you've had this experience. You're looking at a page. You need to delete something, but you have to go through ten steps in a workflow to delete that one thing. And it will, yep. it, it will make you crazy. It'll make you nuts. So, so I shouldn't be down on WordPress. I'm just down on content management in general. You know, that's what I, I, I hate it all. I hate all content management. <laughs> so, so leave it there. <laughs> uh, so there goes those sponsors. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but of course, it, it was a good interview. Though. But of course, I, yeah, you know, I, we should like just insert some random Squarespace ad in here. But of course, Squarespace is a great, it's a great tool, whatever. Um, yeah. All right. Well, the other, um, the only other thing we should probably talk is that it uh, looks like Harvard uh, did uh, something that we all needed to already know. They discovered that PowerPoint is somehow worse than useless. I think they did a study and said like using it uh, actually makes you communicate less. So it's like, but I already knew all that. We, all, I could have confirmed that for them with one phone call. I know, but we're, but you know what we're all going to do? We're going to read that study. We're going to be educated, and you know what we're going to do? Go back to doing PowerPoint. Go back to PowerPoint. So don't like. I just not one, not for one moment do I believe like, oh, this will be great. Like we'll all I'm start me. communicating a new way. No, that's yeah. not. That's not going to happen. Keynote. <laughs> let's, you know. um, let's see what else we got. Uh, you got any conferences you're going to be at anytime soon, Matt? Nothing new. It looks like uh, Cloud uh, Cloud Expo Asia next uh, October. That's mm-hmm. that's my next public engagement. Lots of lots of on-site visits with customers, though. So okay. see that's you there. See, see, you at the, <laughs> see you on site. All right. Well, if Coach Day were here, we'd tell you, one, you should buy his book, which you should. It's great. Uh, two, he would want to tell you to go to Agile Scotland. Scotland, is it Ooh. Glasgow? I think that's right. Wow, yeah. Coach Jay's giving a ninety-minute workshop. 
Guys, I you know what? That's probably worth flying over to see. Ninety minutes is a long time, especially yep. workshop style. So, I pretty I'd like to it. see the, the the Scottish Twitter follow up on that. <laughs> That's going to be <laughs> fantastic. Whoever's there, maybe you should uh, video it and send us some clips. That would be fantastic. He's also going to be in London on the twenty sixth and twenty seventh, and then he's going to be in uh, I guess the collective hometown of Software Defined Talk, Austin, Texas, uh, October seventh to the tenth. So I don't know. Somehow we'll all have to get together and do something fun. And we did have a little bit of listener feedback. So I can't remember if I mentioned this on the last episode, but Daniel Dunbar from Apple, he is hiring some senior distributed systems engineers. So if you're not like Matt and you love Apple like me and you want to work on Apple products, this looks like a fantastic, but it's like all these Apple jobs things. You never know really what it means, but it's like, wow. This sounded pretty cool. So uh, <laughs> I'm in, Senior Distributed Systems Engineer. And if you uh, want to know more, you can uh, check the show notes. And if you probably want to actually talk to Daniel, t- by talk I mean Slack, go join the Slack, and you could ask him. You could say, hey, I saw this. Maybe I should uh, apply for it. Do you think I'd be right for it? He'd probably communicate with you. So if you don't have a job or you have a job you don't like or you just want to work at Apple, word is they're doing pretty well. Um, you know, check out the senior distributed systems engineer. We also had a couple of people roll in and uh, want stickers. So Ryan from Arvada, Colorado, he sent an email in uh, and he sent it to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. He included his postal address. So guess what? I sent him a sticker back. So that's fantastic. And then Andy from Trustville, Alabama, also got a, a sticker uh, this week. And because he's from Alabama, he went to uh, University of Alabama, roll tide. Right. And uh, <laughs> as far as I know, did, no, no. did he say that or, you know, are you I did. Just I did a little research. I was like, I just went back. Oh, I, was wow. like, I went back with Roll Tide and he's like, Roll Tide. He came back and emailed Roll Tide. So everyone's good. So so all I, I know is um, I don't think we have any Auburn listeners. Nobody went to uh, Auburn because I've got no War Eagle because that's really what I'm waiting for. I want to sign off an email uh. with War Eagle. And for people that have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, Auburn is another university <laughs> in Alabama. And they are big rivals. And if you ever want to watch something, if you like football or just documentaries, you should watch the ESPN 30 for 30. It's uh, Roll Tide War Eagle is the name of it. And it talks about oh. the uh, crazy rivalry between the two. I would love for someone from our international audience to watch it because it probably makes no sense. It's like, what are these crazy Americans yelling at each other about football? I guess it would be somewhat equivalent to like Man U and Premier League. What do you have in Australia? Is there like, what do Australians oh, and yeah. Sydney's yell at each other? Like, does the Sydney people, do they hate like the Brisbane people? Like, what are the rivalries? Yeah, yeah, they've got the uh, – uh, th- oh, God. They've got one where um, they have the different states against each other. They, uh-huh. they like, form all-star teams for uh, for Queensland and New South Wales. Like, uh-huh. they have the regular leagues, and then they have, like, an all-star game where they split apart the players based on which state they're from. Okay. And uh, – what sport do they Probably play? What is I'm this? Not sure. Australian football. Gosh, this <laughs> is like sure. dude, this is so bad. This would be like two people in Australia talking about rugby. American football. It's rugby. Oh my it's gosh, rugby. we're getting emails yeah. on this. This is not good. Yes. you've been oh, in Australia man. a long time. I'm sorry, I failed. You, you've Three been years. there. You yeah. need to know the rivalries by now. That'd be I crazy. Go to sporting events and and learn these things. Yeah. All right. So. Well, we apologize to everyone in Australia. So sorry, yeah, I'm sure. I think we're maybe in. Uh, what's the Australian rugby team? Because they don't like New Zealand's the All Blacks, right? Yeah. So that's a probably that, yeah. maybe that's equivalent rivalry. I don't know. New yeah, Zealand no, people are no, see, 
See, I saw the New- Air New Zealand clapping back um, on on Australia. Uh, they had uh, I'll put this in the show notes uh, something from their like boarding passes for uh, the planes for their Australian visitors. Um, dear seventeen year old Australians, on behalf of all New Zealand, you've seen a lot of things in your lifetime, and it's like you know three D printing and drones, blah blah blah. You've never seen Australia win the Bledsoe Cup. We plan on keeping it that way. <laughs> really, like it? Yeah. So that's the airline. I like the airline, it. like as you board the plane from Australia to New Zealand, you know it's like wow, I like that's it. harsh. I'm in. So I'm that'll in be on in the show. I I'm in on yeah. that. That that is that's some good trash talk. So good job, New Zealand. Yeah. Keep good, it up. Good, good keep it up, New job. Zealand. All right, Matt. Let's see what else can you do. Uh, well, we have the Twitter, we have the Instagram, we have the LinkedIn, we have all of it. So you know, go um, subscribe using your favorite social network, and of course, you can keep up with us. Now, Matt, do you have a recommendation for us this week? Uh, yeah, uh, my recommendation this week is the Long Now Foundation has a podcast series, uh, Seminars in the Long Now, and the David Byrne episode was actually really good. Um, I wasn't sure what he was going to talk about. You know, he's mostly known for his music, but uh, it was a talk about uh, forgotten things that that have been forgotten over time. Um, things like, you know, the Romans inventing concrete and then people forgetting about it for 1,800 years. Uh, <laughs> and, you know. Just all sorts of uh, things and also things that uh, are, are good in the world. So uh, it's just this rambling, tangential conversation, but uh, it was quite good. I enjoyed it a lot. Do you think there's somebody like uh, that's listening that's like uh, heard that and was like, yeah, like all you guys talking about containers. We had containers. What was it called in the mainframe? It was uh, – camera was called. But anyway, there's probably a book like that where people Zones are Zones like, and jails. Zones yeah. and jails. It's like we've had this for a long time. So all right. Well, good. Good. All Check powers. Check that out. All right. Well, my recommendation real quick is uh, it's the Wise Cam. So it's W-Y-Z-E. These are basically $25 cams that are that work, as far as I can tell, just like you know the Google Nest cams and the Amazon cam and, and all these things. So I, I'm amazed how cheap they are. They have a nice web app. You can just plug in a little 32-gig uh, 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 SD card, and you can keep all of, you know, I guess, I guess I'm going hybrid cloud, Matt. I don't want my data up there. And you can see what's going on. So it's a a very cheap way to have, like, I would call it a home monitoring system. So um, it probably even has log files somewhere so that you can find it. So if you are looking for a, uh, a cheap camera system, check out Wisecam. All right. With that, we are done. We will talk to you next time. All right.
Dance.